Hello and welcome to episode three of The Bookcase, a podcast brought to you by Nosley Library Service. I'm Jamie and today we'll be talking to author Amanda Brook, uh, who is an acclaimed novelist who is from Liverpool. And she has written novels including The Widow's Club uh, back in 2020 and she has one recently published this year entitled A Good Liar, which you can get at at any uh, local Nosley library. And during this episode we'll also have Word of the Week from Emma and then our quickfire quiz from Stu. So hi Amanda and welcome to our podcast and thank first you for of all, inviting me. No problem at all thank you thank you for coming and uh, first of all just like to ask you how you got into writing uh, more broadly. Um, I suppose if it start off very briefly I never intended on, on being a writer when I was growing up I was a bit of a computer geek you know the first computers were around as I was a teenager sort of in the 80s and yeah really got into computers did my degree in computing and it was only when I was in my um, late 30s I suppose when my little boy became ill and I I found it difficult to talk about my feelings difficult to, to sort of verbalize what was going on and so I, I started writing and I uh, as well as keeping a blog I wrote poems and that was really how I got into creative writing I suppose and he died two years later and I just wanted to write what happened to us and that got me into a creative writing course and eventually I decided it was time to tackle a book and yeah the first sort of women's fiction book that I wrote was yesterday's son and that was the one that got me the book deal got me the agent uh and was on the Riches and Judy book club list as well so and it oh, wow. that was yeah it was been writing publishing for 10 years now over 10 years mm, that's quite a whirlwind really from kind of your very first book that you wrote is the one that got you kind of the deals and all that kind of acclamation really how did that kind of feel to you just kind of this thing that was quite cathartic really and helping you process something so traumatic just became this whole new world for you yeah I mean my little boy was was three when he died and it was such an an incredible legacy that that he sort of gave me and I never really had any great ambitions and then you realize how how lucky we are to be mm. sort of when you, you are a sort of good health, you take your health for granted, you take life for granted. And it was like, mm. I just wanted to achieve something. And so, yeah. yeah. And then this, this idea for that first book was one that was just very, very special. And, and the, mm. the subject was very close to me. So mm. yeah, it, it, it was, it was the beginning of, of, you know, an ambition I, I only realized very late in life. Yeah, and maybe it's that that resonated with people, that kind of idea of something people can also understand or relate to. Um, maybe not on the same scale as your own situation, but just often if people can see their own lives reflected in a story, I think it just, it can take off, can't it? Yeah, and I think that's the theme in my writing, really. Although a lot of the, the later books particularly have gotten to darker elements and, and psychological suspense mm. and, and mystery type um storylines but I've never really got away from that intense emotion and, and it's sort of dealing with the victims as what we perceive as, as the victims of, of abuse or crime 
and and, and that's the the element I'm always drawn to it's it's the the people that mm. you know that the mm. human character not necessarily this sort of the baddies <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah that's well, a very that... different twist isn't it sorry Jamie carry on no no absolutely fine um yeah I was just just thinking about your other novels and am I right in thinking that quite a few of them are set in Liverpool and in and around Liverpool so I was just wondering how has the city influenced you and your and your writing I mean it, it's it's an obvious draw I've I've lived in Liverpool all my life and it's the the city I know best and it's a city I'm proud of and 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 particularly I think when I started writing books that were based in Liverpool I wanted to give people readers who maybe hadn't visited the city or didn't know the area the northwest very well to give them a, a you know a different view that than maybe what automatically springs to mind which tends to be the Beatles mm. or football or <laughs> something like yeah. you know or, or a yeah. bad reputation and it, it so it if, when I've put um, locations in, they've tended to be things that people might not have known. So my earlier books, there was the Bond Out Church and, you know, mm-hmm. St. Luke's in Liverpool or, you know, Sefton Park and, and the parks particularly are always mm-hmm. a, a good draw. Is there any sort of like areas of Liverpool that you're quite interested to sort of learn more about and maybe incorporate that into any possible future works? Um, I think... Considering what I'm writing at the moment, I'm, the next book I'm I'm writing, I've I, I tend to mix it up a bit. So, with the Widows Club, for example, um, was set in Hale Village, and even though I'm I'm in Hunts Cross, so I'm not that far from Hale Village, it wasn't an area I knew particularly well because it tends to be hidden away. So, I did sort of quite a bit of research on that area and found that quite fascinating. Finding a you know local places that you wanted to know about and then this time around the book I'm currently writing um just to mix it up again I've set that on the Wirral and that's um going to be in Oxton so funnily enough at the weekend I was I went on a a historical walk um like a guided tour by the Oxton Society Mm. so that was yeah you just you get sort of not necessarily things that you are going to push into the book that Mm. you're writing but it, it gives you an incentive to find out more about places we all think we know well but mm. we don't really <laughs> do you ever use any kind of poetic license as well in how you describe the city or is it all kind of quite true to and factual to how you describe it or do you kind of kind of adapt a place to make it fit the story if that makes sense uh, it's a good question that because I I do tend to to mix the specifics of an area so I will you know I'll describe a well-known place like the parks for example um Mm -hmm. but when it comes to houses and streets I tend to make them up so sometimes they don't quite fit with like the one book I wrote the missing husband where I wanted it in a particular place and a particular that there was a a narrow sort of wooded path that didn't exist mm-hmm. that I needed to exist yeah. so I created that but I do yeah. tend because sometimes you know horrible things might happen in some of the houses I'm describing I don't want it to be mm. a real person's house <laughs> so I tend to be very that vague <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's a really good way of making that work actually that you use it as a setting and a springboard to create the the place that you want to create um 
that's really cool. I mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting. I was also wondering actually, is how do you go about recording? You know, when you're out and about seeing places, do you like take notes on your phone or have like a little notebook or, you know, how does that? It tends to be, um, yeah. It, for, I think photographs are, are the main mm. a sort of tool that I use, particularly when you you know I know Ossesville prompt very well, and I, I used to sort of. When I worked uh, in town, I used to occasionally, it was a long, long walk home, but, you know, mm. so I I, mm. I I was used to having like long treks along Gossip School prom. You come to describe it and it's like, I mm, can't remember what colour the railings are, mm. <laughs> things like that. You, you just, yeah. you don't take in that kind of detail. Mm. And then, of course, the, the, you know, the the northwest is very good it's got some amazing places and, and there's always sort of information boards so i'm always taking photographs of the information boards or you know the local community notice boards as well things like that oh brilliant so you could possibly make like a whole photo album of all these sort of this raw <laughs> this raw material that you've sort of produced it as, yeah. like, sort of as a side <laughs> of your as your book it's brilliant um also, uh, I, I know before you said you, you mentioned about uh, how you don't like compute, you were into computers in the 80s uh, and that kind of thing. And I'm just kind of wondering, one question I wanted to ask you is, you actually, were you like into video games or do you perhaps have like a favourite video game that you used to, <laughs> used to play mean, at the time? Yeah. yeah, what do you mean used to? I still, I still, still play <laughs> video games. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I've, I've, I'm playing Zelda at the minute. You know, I, I do. I am... Um, yeah, I, I haven't got rid of my computer geek sort of background, but yeah, I, I do I do play on I've got a, a Nintendo Switch, which I'm you know, I also use there's it's got a keep fit app, um ring fit it's called. So because I gave up my full-time job uh about four or five years ago now, mm. I knew I was gonna be in the house. This is long before lockdown and we were all stuck in the house. But I just sort of made an effort to to keep up with exercise, so that's one of my exercises. I'm mean, a computer game as well, which I love. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and also, I was just wondering if you'd have any advice for any aspiring writers in terms of how to avoid or overcome any common mistakes. Um. You know, when I started writing, I didn't have any kind of formal education. And, you know, I, I did O-levels in the day uh, and I wrote for my sort of day job in an office. I wrote a, a lot of things, um, but I didn't really delve into the creative writing side. And I, I remember for a, a long time, I suppose, I did have this idea that I fancy writing a book as like, you know a lot of people do mm. and I remember seeing an interview once um somebody saying a, a famous author and I can't remember who it was but saying you know people are, are often ask him how how do I start to write a book and he came up with this sort of pithy, pithy reply saying that if you'd if you'd wanted to write a book you would have written it by now and it, it just it put me off mm. and, mm. and so when I you know when I talk about writing to people who, who haven't you know put pen to paper yet is just give it a go you know just enjoy it don't mm. don't necessarily do it with a book in mind do it for mm. you, yourself and I think it does help if you if you are writing fiction is make 
make sure that this idea that you've got that you 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 have got that urge to write it and to know more about the story um but the it's very so a useful tool is being on social media i got a lot of advice uh from other authors i think it's a great community i'm very supportive so never be afraid to to ask questions either through twitter or facebook and your favorite authors and i'm, I'm sure it's a lonely life sometimes when you mm. <laughs> you're stuck at a computer and, and you know it is a helpful community mm. but just give it a go don't don't hold back would be mine yeah best advice I like what you said there actually um know know more about the story kind of I guess I always assumed that um authors would have kind of almost the whole beginning middle end plotted out and you kind of you're filling in the gaps and how it happens but you almost you know the end of the story when you start writing it but I guess not all the time you just have how it starts and then you're exploring with the characters how it ends yeah I mean uh, writers you know there's there's a lot of different um methods around how people write and so you know it's often either people who are pansters or plotters you know those people who, who write it all out to the nth degree before they start actually writing the book and then there's mm. the pansters who make it up as they go along <laughs> um and both are, are equally productive yeah and I, I sort of probably fall somewhere in the middle of that I don't plot mine out exactly because I, I do like that flexibility and you do mm. find that when you you're creating characters on a page and you start getting them to have conversations things spark from there and to me that is yeah. the most enjoyable part mm. of suddenly this spark of an idea that you hadn't had at the beginning yeah. takes off mm. as long as you yeah. don't deviate too far and you you end up with a book that never ever seems to have an end <laughs> that's where you're in trouble <laughs> so it's good to have some kind of end point but um yeah. It's the best part of it is, is those sorts of splashes of inspiration mm. that come. They're the bits oh, I love. <laughs> yeah. And it's those bits that keep you writing, isn't it? And coming back to writing, because you know that it can be, like I said, it can be lonely staring at a computer all day. But if you know you're going to get those sparks of enjoyment, that keeps you going. Yeah, and it does make it exciting. And it, mm. you know, you don't, you can lose sight of a story because you, you know it, so well as you're writing it or you think you do and then you know it goes on to to another bit of advice really is editing you know if you're going to get a book published it is it's really uh is a benefit having an editor or somebody who can look mm. at it with a critic's eye and yeah. feel it as a reader because you can't you can't see things from a reader's <laughs> perspective when you're writing because you know things that may not be on the page and you assume is obvious and it isn't. That's helpful advice as well. I like that. Yeah. 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 Some re really good stuff there, Amanda. Thank you. And I was just also wondering, you mentioned social media. I was thinking, are we going to get an Amanda Brook TikTok <laughs> for advice for uh, aspiring writers? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've played with most social media platforms but not tiktok yet I've, I've got an account set up but i've not mm. i think it's more likely what my dog would be on it than me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've i've just discovered it recently and just i've just sort of been quite it's quite addictive 
I, you just keep flicking through loads of different videos and you sort of find out what you like and all that kind of thing and it sort of pulls it all together but it can you can just lose hours you can just lose yeah. hours watching like yeah. dog videos or cats or you know. <laughs> they would definitely suck me in that's the way yeah <laughs> So now it's over to Emma for our word of the week. And what have you got for us this week, Emma? Hi, Jamie. Well, I've got um, a small basic word this week. Nothing too exciting. Um, it's the word kiosk. Um, so let's have a look at that one. In the US in 1889, a chap called William Gray invented the first coin-operated telephone kiosk. It was a piece of technology that would become one of the most iconic images of Britain in the 20th century. It's said that the inspiration for the payphone came when William Gray's wife fell ill and he found himself unable to call a doctor. So quite a, a useful invention to come up with really for him there. It wasn't until 1921 that the first public payphone in the UK was produced by the post office and it was designated K1, kiosk number one. Today's much-loved red telephone box is known as the K6. Now, here's an interesting Liverpool-based fact for you, a little digression. The red kiosk was designed to commemorate the Silver Jubilee of King George V, and it was designed by none other than Sir Giles Gilbert Scott, the designer of our very own Liverpool Cathedral. If you ever go to visit the cathedral, you'll find a red telephone box installed by the lift to the tower. It's a proud display of Sir Giles's smallest creation housed inside his largest creation. But what about the history of the word kiosk itself? Well, the first constructions to be called kiosks were much grander than a phone box. A kiosk was actually more like a big open pavilion or a summer house. It was supported by pillars and surrounded with a balustrade. They were really common in Turkey and Iran and subsequently imitated in gardens and parks across Western Europe. So that's where our much smaller scale pavilions come from. In the 19th century, the word kiosk was borrowed to denote the small structure that is the newspaper stand um, that you might see on street corners. They're called kiosks. And eventually in the 1920s, kiosk added the payphone to its list of definitions. It came into English via the French kiosk with a Q-U-E at the end, but ultimately it actually goes full circle right back to its Turkish roots, kosk, meaning pavilion. So there we are. That is the history of the word kiosk and connections to Liverpool as well. Oh, fantastic. That sounds amazing. I mean, I was, I think when you, when I hear the word kiosk, I automatically think of the newspaper stand kind of. Yeah structure generally because uh, I always remember it watching Frasier and I think uh, Frasier <laughs> some, somehow sets alight this guy's kiosk and then does him out of business and yes. all this kind of thing it's <laughs> you but if you've yeah yeah if you've ever seen that episode uh yeah I probably uh, have the, my dad loved my dad loved Frasier so I probably have seen it <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I yeah it's just it's just the image that I just conjured <laughs> up as soon as you said it I was thinking oh burning kiosk Frasier and just <laughs> poor guys sitting on the pavement like oh what have you done to my livelihood and all this but yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so um that's great thank you emma we'll have more word of the week or what phrase of the week uh maybe next a time. phrase yeah and now it's over to Stu for the quick fire quiz 
Uh oh. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jamie. And uh, hi, Amanda. Hello, Stuart. Okay, Amanda, we've got for you an endless list of general knowledge questions, and the aim is to see how many you can correctly answer in a minute. So uh, you can pass on any you don't know, and we mostly just need one short one or two word answers off you. So um, as it stands at the moment, five, five correct scores are going to put you top of our joint leaderboard. So uh, do you fancy your chances? No. <laughs> <laughs> no said very confidently there. So I'm um. going to start your timer now. Okay, so which Stephen King novel is set in the fictional Overlook Hotel? The Shining. Correct. What is the name of the coffee shop in the American TV sitcom Friends? Perks, Central Perks. That's correct again. What's the capital city of New Zealand? Oh, I should know this. My daughter's there. Christchurch. That's in Wellington, isn't it? <laughs> How many times has the England football team won the World Cup? Once. That's correct. In literature, can you give me the, the first names of two of the five Bronte sisters? Charlotte and Emily. That'll do. Correct. Gary and Martin Kent were in which band? Spandau Ballet. Correct again. Gouda is a popular cheese from which country? Switzerland. That's incorrect. What number constitutes a baker's dozen? 13. That's correct. Okay, Amanda, so you scored an epic six. The uh, incorrect answers you gave, you, you actually corrected it, but just too late. Um, the capital of New Zealand is Wellington, of course. But but six uh, puts you top of the leaderboard. So, oh, good. <laughs> Amy, back to you. Thank you. So um, that's it for us uh, this week. Uh, you can keep up to date with what's happening in Nosley Library Service by searching for us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Nosley Lib and visiting our website www.yourlibrary.nosley.gov.uk where you will also find out how to access our BorrowBox e-books and e-audiobooks services. Join us next week for another episode of the Bookcase podcast with Nosley Library Service.